Hello, good morning, good afternoon to those tuning in to the show once again. As y'all all know, I'm y'all host, Tavares Wilson, and I always get the last word. And here we go, guys. We're going to jump straight into the NBA. And as you all know, it's NBA playoffs, man. We got to get straight into it. So I'm going to start off with a series that I was really, really excited about, man. But it just did not pan out the way I thought it would pan out. And that's the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks series. As you all know... As you all should know by now, the Hawks took the series last night. They won the series in five games. They beat the the Knicks in in um, New York last night. Excuse me. And the final score was one hundred three to eighty nine. You know, Trey Young had a phenomenal game. Finished with thirty six points. Had nine assists. Fun fact for you guys: Derrick Rose, Reggie Bullock, and R.J. Barrett combined. Y'all, y'all listening, right? They combined for 35 points. Those th- And these are three starters, like high-contributed guys. Reggie Bullock played 40 minutes. R.J. Barrett played 39 minutes. Re- Derrick Rose played 26. R.J. Barrett, 17. Derrick Rose, 6. Reggie Bullock, 12. I mean, Trey Young outscored three significant starters for the Knicks in a, an elimination game, a must-win game for the Knicks. And on top of that, I mean, it's just he out. He himself almost had more assists than them combined as well. And it's just to me, it's just so crazy, man. It's so crazy that Trey Young, so young, so talented, came in and just took New York by storm with that crowd, with that animosity, and you know, just the the flair and the intensity in the air. He played with such under cool, calm, and collected. And he he's hit the game winners. He's out there. He's dropping 35, 25-plus points per night, giving you eight-plus assists. And, I mean, it's spectacular, man. And, I mean, that, it's not to say anything about the Knicks because at the end of the day, I feel as if the Knicks had a good run. I just believe the Knicks have to face reality in what I've been saying. I don't believe you can be a good team, at least not in the postseason, with Julius Randle as your best scoring option. You just can't. I mean, let's just, let's guys, let's just go through the numbers for Julius Randle throughout this series. I mean, first of all, let me say this. Julius Randle played horrible. I don't want to, I don't care about him winning most improved player. I don't care about him having his best career regular season performance in his whole career. I don't care about him shooting 41% from the three-point line in the regular season. I don't care about him shooting 45 46% from the field in the regular season. I don't, I don't care about any of that. You know, I care about how did you look when it mattered the most. And when it mattered most, he played terrible this entire series. The last game they played last night was his best game. And it wasn't that good of a game. It was solid. It was okay. Like I said, I'm going to read you all out these numbers. Now, let's we're going to go to the very first game of the series. Julius Randle played 50, 36 minutes, excuse me, scored 15 points, had 12 rebounds, 4 assists. He was 6 for 23 on the night shooting, and he was 2 for 6 from 3. Okay, that's it. That'll tell you, okay, first playoff game jitters, you know, let him settle in. Let him get used to seeing, you know, the matchups they throwing at him, things like that. He'll bounce back. No. Next game, almost a, there's almost the same identical stat line. 
He had the same amount of points, same amount of rebounds, and the same amount of assists. But this time, he went 5 for 16 shooting, and he went 2 for 7 from 3. So that's two games back-to-back right there where this guy is shooting under 30% from the floor. Back-to-back games, he's doing that. And now you're like, okay, we pulled out one of these games. You know, that's good for us, but we're on the, we're at home. We're not on the road. You're, you expect to win every home game. You will hope to win every home game. And you expect for your star, quote-unquote star, to at the very least be a contributor to that. I mean, he did more harm in this series as a, to- as a totality. He did more harm than good for the Knicks this series. And it's sad to say, man, because I like Julius Randle. I think Julius Randle is a guy, since coming out of college, I always thought Julius Randle was a guy who can become something more. Like, I liked him since Kentucky. I really did. And I felt as if he didn't have a, a fair shake with the Lakers. Now he got a chance of the Knicks. And I feel as if he's a guy who can absolutely thrive in his league as a second score option. But when he overachieved this year, many people believed that, you know, hey, he could actually probably, you know, lead this Knicks team past the first round. Especially being the fact that they're going up against a Hawks team that they literally swept their regular season series against. And he played phenomenal in all the games against the Hawks. Long story short, that did not become reality. Julius Randle posted... Through a, I believe it was through the fourth game. He posted the worst shooting percentage of any player in NBA history since the shot clock era, that is. Let me be real specific with this. Since any player in the shot clock era, he has no other player through three games has shot 50-plus shots and shot worse than he has. It's and that exact percentage was 24%, guys. He was 13 for 54 in total. That is catastrophically and historically bad. You would never, ever, ever be anyone with your first scoring options scoring like that. It's, it's never going to happen. And that's why the Hawks ultimately dominated this series. And that's why they ultimately dominated each and every game except for the one that they lost, which they really just hit a cold stretch in that game. If they didn't miss, I believe it was a stretch they missed like almost, I think, 15 straight shots. If they didn't do that, they they sweep the series. But, you know, that's not a hero there. The Hawks won in five. Now, the next games I want to get into that series that ended. I already spoke about the Bucks. I'm not going to talk about the Bucks in the Heat series. But just a little nugget about that series. I do believe the Heat should move on from... Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, while they still have some trade value. I do not believe they need to keep these guys. I'm not saying these guys can't be good players, but I don't see them ascending into these players that they want to want it so desperately to hold on to to not get a preliminary MVP player, caliber player in James Harden. I don't see the only the only reason why. You would not trade for a guy in his prime who is a top five player in the league right now, arguably top five, most definitely top eight in the league right now in James Harden is because you believe those two guys have a chance to truly be transcendent players on your team, meaning they can be guys who can literally get you in the conversations to go to that Eastern Conference Finals 
consistently in the far future. I don't see Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson becoming that. I don't. I'm gonna just be blunt with you, blunt with you guys. I don't see that. Now they do more power to them, but I, I me personally, I don't see it. I don't. I know it's two years in. I know they're still young. I just don't see it. Now, that's that's not me saying that they can't do it anywhere else. That's not me saying they can't do it in the Heat. Me personally, from what I've seen from Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, I cannot see it, especially out of Duncan Robinson. He's nothing but a shooter. He can't put the ball on the ground. He's good at cutting to the basket. He can find. He's good with, with moving without the ball. But he, for the most part, he's a shooter. That's it. Now, with that being said, on to the next series. I wanted to speak on the Utah Jazz series. Let's go over to the West really quick. And I just want the reason why I speak on this series next is because I want people to understand the impact that Donovan Mitchell has for this team on a consistent basis when it comes to offensive, the offensive end. He is a guy who's he's their number one scoring option. Can score from anywhere on the floor. He can shoot really extremely well. You know his percentage has you know his shot percentage isn't where you would like to be sometimes in some games, but he's a guy who's extremely talented. He's athletic, gifted. He's a bit undersized for a two guard. I mean, he is undersized for a two, but still, he's he's you can see it. Look at him. He's stocky. He's a strong dude. He can get to his spots. He got a nice dribble. So. You have that kind of floor space and that guy who can create his own, it just opens up the team much, much more. And they literally lost their first game without him. The moment he came back, they went four straight. Their total points per game increased, their field goal percentage increased, their three point percentage increased, their assist points assist per game increased slightly. It wasn't big of a difference, but it did increase. And they won four straight games, ultimately. So he's contributing to a winning team, regardless of how you want to look at it. He is. Now, with that being said, I've said all that to say this. I still believe Rudy Gobert is the most important player on that team. And the reason why I'm having this discussion is because I actually had a discussion with a, a friend of mine about this, asking who do we believe is the most important player on the, the Jazz team and to, most important to their success. Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell? And I said this, and I said it again. I believe Rudy Gobert is the most important piece to their success. Now, I know people will look at the game and be like, oh, well, why didn't they win the first game of the series then? You know, they were at home. Rudy Gobert played, yada, yada, yada. Listen, the guy isn't a dominant scorer. He's, that's not his game. He's a defensive presence anchor, the best rim protector in the league. He's a, he's a two-time defensive player of the year for a reason. He's a guy who anchors that end. He grabs boards. He sets some of the best screens in the league. He, I, I believe, I believe, if it wasn't this season, it was a season before where he actually led the league in screens set to points ratio. Like, basically, when he set a screen for a guy, they score on a higher tendency than any other person who set a screen in the league. You, I mean, those are things that, those are the little subtle things people don't look at when it comes to the stat sheets. All they see is the points, assists, rebounds, steals, et cetera, et cetera. He is a guy, if Rudy Gobert were to not play, and Donovan Mitchell was to still play, the same outcome would happen. I mean, the Grizzlies may push this series to six without Rudy Gobert, just like they could have pushed it to six without Donovan Mitchell. But the difference between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert is the fact that 
Rudy Gobert can still go out and give you 15, 18 points. He can still go out and give you a double-digit scoring night with double-digit rebounds. You can't ask Donovan Mitchell to be the defensive anchor that Rudy Gobert is. Not to say that you can ask Donovan, I mean, Rudy Gobert to be the scorer Donovan Mitchell is, but he can at the very least produce on the offensive end. Donovan Mitchell is nowhere near the defensive player that Rudy Gobert is versus Rudy Gobert actually being a pretty solid, productive offensive player like Donovan Mitchell is. To me, Rudy Gobert is the most important player on that team. I know a lot of people will and have disagreed with me on that, with that fact, but to me, it's, it's evident at this point that without Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, this team is nothing. I mean... It's just, I mean, that's any team with two best players. It's just what it is. But I feel as if this is one of those cases where the, the defensive prowess outweighs the score. Now, I'll get off into the next series that ended. And that's the Brooklyn Nets versus the Celtics. And just, I might want to add, I am excited and thrilled, man, for this Bucks and Nets series, man. I'm telling y'all, man, it's, this is going to be fireworks. I have no idea who's going to win the series. I'm going to still post my prediction for the series. So don't, don't believe I won't, guys. I will. Trust me. I just believe these teams are so matched well across the board. It's just it's going to be fun to watch. But with that being said, the Nets have absolutely all the firepower, man. I mean, I believe that was... Um, Game four in this series where Kevin, the, the big trio, KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, they scored for 102 total points combined. Guys, it's, it's teams out here who can't even score 102 points in a total game playing 10 people. These three guys combined for 102 points. That is, man, that's a lot of firepower, man. It's going to be so hard to beat that, man. It's going to be so, so, so hard to beat them. And what makes it, what makes it so much worse is the fact that they have a legitimate sniper in Joe Harris, a guy who can literally light you up from anywhere on the floor. And when I say anywhere, I mean anywhere. Like, this is a guy who can literally... I mean, his, his, shooting, his shooting practice is incredible. Like, he it's a lot similar to Kyle Corver's where he just has this gauntlet, basically, and he takes over 500 shots before he leaves the gym and before he truly warms up. It's, it's crazy. I mean, but even with all that being said, I feel as if the Bucks match up so well defensively that they give themselves a fighting chance. They give themselves a punching chance at the very least. Because at the end of the day... They are, they have a defensive player of the year caliber player in Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's six eleven, can defend KD. You have Chris Middleton, a long rangey guy who can defend James Harden, who's a good two way player and a good ultimate scorer. If I'm being honest, and then you have Drew Holiday, who many, 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 many in his league deem as the best defensive guard in the league. So you match up well on the defensive end. I'm not saying they're going to stop these guys, but they're going to make it more difficult than it usually could be. They're going to. I mean, that's just what it is. When you naturally have a better defender on you, 
it's going to be harder for you to score. That's that's just how things work. Now, with that being said, I feel as if the Nets have no answer for Giannis. I truly feel as if they don't. I mean, Giannis is a guy who is a powerhouse man. He's a downhill player. The Nets literally have zero rim protection. They're not even playing DeAndre Jordan anymore. And even with DeAndre Jordan playing, he's up in an age where he could not be asked to stop what Giannis is right now in terms of meeting him at the rim on a consistent basis. You can't expect that of him. Kevin Durant is a solid defender. But as y'all just said from his last series against Jason Tatum, he's not a guy who's going to exactly go out there and be intimidating to the point where guys are going to look for screens set on him and switch off him and stuff. He's a guy that a lot of people typically tend to attack. I mean, his length can bother you because, I mean, naturally he's, he's a tall dude. I mean, length bothers anyone in their shots. But at the end of the day, He's not quick on his feet on the defensive side. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. So even if you blow past him, you have a pretty good chance of beating him to the rim, even with the length he does possess. And even on top of all of that, he's not a guy who's exactly truly devoted on that end of the floor. I mean, yeah, he gets a block here and there, but he's 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 not a guy who's truly devoted on the defensive end. I mean, it's not to say he's a pushover on the defensive end, but there's a reason why Kevin Durant never has made an all-NBA defensive team, guys. There's a reason for this. It's not just because he hasn't gotten there. It's because he's just not that good of a defender. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people want to say he is, but he's not. This isn't like P.J. Tucker or anybody else like this where they're literally being robbed. But you can turn on the film and see the difference in P.J. Tucker's defensive prowess versus Kevin Durant. It's night and day. So I'm not even going to sit here and even discuss or debate about that. It's night and, it's a night and day difference between those two. <clears throat> but with that, all that being said, I can't wait for this series, man. I mean, I think it's going to be fun. I really do. And with that being said, I'm going to get off into another series. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not going to speak on the Suns. Just so you all know, I'm not going to speak on the Suns and Lakers series until until there's actually a winner. I will say my thoughts about it so far. I'm I'm truly, I'm, I want to say terrified or worried, but it's concerning to see that LeBron, my guy, is, you know, my GOAT is about to, it looks like he's about to lose in the first round for the first time in his career. It, it, it looks that way. I mean, I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying it's inevitable. I'm just saying it looks that way. I mean, when you get beat by 30, I mean, you lose a bit of good, a bit of hope when for the next game. I mean, we'll see, though. I mean, I, I still have trust in him to find the, the second gear. You know, he's definitely still bothered by uh, the ankle injury, the high ankle sprain he suffered. He's definitely getting up there in age, so he's not looking like the same playoff Bron we're used to and the grown accustomed to seeing. But, I mean, at the end of the day, man, the man finished the game with 24, and no other person on the team, I believe, even hit double digits that game. I mean, if they did, it was one person. It can't happen, man. It just can't. And hopefully AD comes back because they, they need him. They they cannot afford to have either one of those guys sit out. 
because they're they're easily the best two scoring options and by far and large the best two players on the team. Now, with that being said, the last series I'm going to speak on is the 76ers win over the Wizards. Now, with that being said, the 76ers are set to take on the Hawks. But the biggest storyline thus far before they clash is whether or not Joel Embiid will be healthy to actually begin the series. He, as we all know, he had a, a slight meniscus tear and he missed the game five against the Wizards. The Sixers still ultimately won by a pretty good margin. I believe it was almost 20 points and not 20. And they didn't seem too overwhelmed and too, you know, over. They didn't overcompensate themselves by thinking like, oh, man, you know, Embiid gone. We got to do this. We got to do that. This is what Ben Simmons had to pick up. No, everyone stayed true to their roles. <clears throat> ben Simmons had a strong performance. Finishing with a triple-double when Seth Curry played a good game as well. He had a great game shooting, actually. So, as long as they can stick to their roles and be who they are, I believe the Sixers will be fine against the Hawks. They could probably miss a game or two without Embiid, without it truly hurting them. But at the end of the day, I feel as if if they want to have any kind of championship aspirations, they need Joel Embiid. You're not about to beat the six, not the six. You're not about to beat the Bucks or the Nets, regardless of who wins that series. You're not about to beat not one of those guys without your star center healthy. You're not. You're just not. I mean, you may not even win a game in that case if he doesn't play. So they have to have him rested and reassured before anything else. So if he does need to sit another game, I say let him sit. I mean, it's not. It's no knock against the Hawks, but you have a much higher chance of beating the Hawks without Embiid than you would the next round. Without him. Because regardless of who you run into, you're running into a juggernaut. It's just that simple. Now, with all that being said, guys, I want to hop over into the NFL news. And it's not it's not really too much big news going around in the NFL right now. But it's some things I wanted to speak on briefly. So, first and foremost, the, U, the, the USFL is to, scheduled to relaunch. In twenty in the spring of twenty twenty two, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> that's not something I've ever truly been interested in. But you know, we'll see where it go. I mean, it's just a little fun little news story to bring up because, like I said again, it's not much to really speak on right now. But at the same time, you know, it's still news. It's something that's exciting to people, and it's something that you know I feel as if is actually worth talking about because this is another year where you can have extra sports and extra football I mean who doesn't like extra football I love I love football now with all that being said I want to speak again about the Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones situation and the reason I want to speak about these two gentlemen is because I'm starting to see a trend in the NFL like the NBA it started to progressively work more in the favor of the players versus the coaches and the owners. And I absolutely love it, and I am here for it. And the reason why I'm here for it and I love it is because at the end of the day, these guys are the ones going out there sacrificing their bodies, they're sacrificing their mental health, their physical health, and they're ultimately the entertainment. They, they just are. You know, they're the ones who are bringing the people into the stands, into the, the Raptors and all these other things. It's not the owner. It's not um, 
It's not Stephen A. Smith or anyone on that TV show talking about them guys. These guys are being, these fans are coming in because they want to see these guys play. That's it. It's not because of what they heard the coach say in a press conference. It's not because of what they heard Skip and Shannon arguing about. It's because they know this player. They know Julio Jones. They know Aaron Rodgers. They want to see these guys play. That's why I love it. And the players are starting to realize that I'm the one selling tickets. I'm the one filling up the seats. And I'm the one that's getting people to buy these season tickets. That's ultimately filling your pockets and profiting your business. So I'm the one who's going to control my future. And that's what Julio Jones is doing. He's always been looked at as a guy who's been a quiet, silent assassin. You know, you know, not a guy who's very outspoken. Not a guy who, you feel me, is like... Not a guy who's someone who's just trying to be out there and be this vocal diva of a receiver like a lot of people see receivers as these days. He's not that at all. But the fact that he's now coming out and saying these things, that he's the crest of the trade since March, he's done, he's out of there, he doesn't want to play for a team like the Cowboys, he wants to actually win. This shows that he is aware that he can take control over his situation and his future, which I love. And if a guy like Julio can go out and do that, it's bound to happen for multiple other players in the league. Because this is, again, this is one of the most quiet and soft-spoken guys in the league. He's now one of the ones to actually be the front runners of the trailblazers and pioneers who is taking control of his future. To me, I think, I think this is something that is monumental for the NFL, for the players. It's not good for the owners, of course. I mean, but I love to see the players taking control of their future, man. And as far as the Aaron Rodgers situation goes, I told you all from... Excuse me. I told you all from the jump, I feel as if Aaron Rodgers needed to leave regardless. It wasn't because of the Jordan Love signing. It wasn't because of the, you know, oh, they haven't drafted a first-round player outside of Jordan Love in the first round in, I believe, eight years or something like that. It's not because of any of that, man. It's because of the fact that this organization, simply put, has failed to capitalize on the talent they had. I mean, you, you think about it. I tell people this all the time to put these things in perspective. The Packers had two really, 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 really good franchise and at the time, generational talents at quarterback. Brett Favre at his time was a generational talent. He was a guy that the league truly never really seen. A strong arm, gunslinger, willing to take the risk, mobile guy, athletic enough to pick up yards on his own. This is something... That a lot of quarterbacks weren't in Brett Favre's era. So for the Packers to have had that type of caliber player in his prime was an absolute steal for the Packers. And what they produced out of it were championships. Now you do it again. Aaron Rodgers, who you all may know by now if you listen to me consistently, is my greatest of all time quarterback in my personal opinion. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time because of achievements. I'm not saying he's greatest all time because of statistics. I'm saying when you turn on the film, compared to every other quarterback you will ever see play the game, I think he's the very best to ever play the game. Now, you can have stats that supports the argument. I use stats all the time to support his argument. But 
That's not the biggest reason why I say he's the best quarterback ever. I turn on the film and I tell myself there's nobody else who has played this position better than him. No one else. And at the end of the day, I, I will stand true to that. I mean, you know, people, of course, disagree with that. But me, I stand true to that. Long story short, they still had this generation of talented guy and only produced one championship from it. I mean, at what point do we realize that this organization just isn't as historically great or good as we once thought? I mean, at some point, I just feel as if that has to be realized and has to be addressed. Because at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers was willing to endure all the hardships and tribulations. He said, okay, since you don't want to sign big name receivers, you don't want to go out and get help, you don't want to drive help in the first round for me, and you don't want to re-sign my linemen who have been the, our best positional group outside of myself on our team, all right, then pay me. Oh, we can't do that either. Oh well, I'm gone. That's, it's just that simple. I don't. I don't want to be here anymore. Then you can't pay my my best players. You let people. You let talent walk out the door on us. You can't draft well. You can't get us good talent. And now you sit here telling me you can't even pay me after I've endured all of this this bad management, bad ownership for a decade now. And now you telling me I can't even receive conversation. Okay, I'm gone. It's that simple. And I love the fact that he's finally taking control of that. And what I've been saying this for years. I've been saying for years that the Packers are a joke of an organization. I've been saying for years that the Packers are someone who does not deserve the player that this guy is. And now he's finally realized that they truly don't deserve him. And I love that he truly now just realized it. I mean, I'm it, it's upsetting to have to take this long, but... At least he knows. Now, guys, with all that being said, I'm not going to do a player edition this this episode. The reason why I'm not doing one is simply put that I want to just speakly, briefly, excuse me, speak on the NBA playoffs and briefly about some NFL news as well. Like I said, it wasn't too much NFL news. But at the end of the day, guys, thank you all for tuning in to the show once again. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Please be sure to subscribe to the channel on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Radio, Public, things of that nature. And thank you all for your time once again. I'll see you all in the next one.